You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, what's incredible is we're in Mark chapter 8. So I want you to turn there. and what, It's just amazing how, how, how deep we've already gotten into the gospel of Mark. It seems as if it was just yesterday that we started in this journey. And here we are eight, nine weeks later in Mark chapter number 8. What I want you to do is you hold your place there. I want to make a statement to you. I want you to think about this statement. It's the first challenge in your notes. And it's simply this statement. There is no middle of the road in following Jesus Christ. None. There is no half-heartedness when it comes to following Jesus Christ. Either you hate Christ or you love him with all of your heart. You say, well, preacher, I don't know. Hate him or love him like with all of my heart? Yes. Mark chapter 8 is going to help us understand that that is not too strong a statement to make about Jesus and following him. Some say, well, that's not really true of me. I think I'm somewhere in the middle. Let me go back to my initial statement. There is no middle of the road when it comes to following Christ. Have you ever noticed that no one ever uses Buddha or Krishna, that name, in a blasphemous way? You ever notice that? I've never heard anybody say, Buddha! Never. And yet all around the world, in the United States and even in other countries, we see the name of Jesus blasphemed. Because Satan, the God of this world, is not going to draw people into a position where they are attacking the very religion that Satan invented to draw people away from Jesus Christ. That's right, Satan invented. It's only Jesus Christ whose name is profaned. You ever notice that the Bible is the only book that people have given their lives to attack? You may occasionally see a book written in opposition to the Koran, or occasionally see a book uh, in opposition to the Book of Mormon. But man, you can find books produced constantly attacking the Word of God. So I say all that to say this. When it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no middle ground. You are either for Him everything, all the time, all for him, or you're against him. I think you'll see this clearly in Mark chapter 8. My efforts this morning are to help you to see this clearly. As Jesus Christ has four interactions with different people, where ultimately at the end of the conversation... He gives them a very strong rebuke because they have reduced his message. 
And today, I don't want to be guilty of reducing the message of Jesus. I don't want to water it down. I, I don't want to soft pedal it. I don't want to be guilty of just, you know, making everyone feel as if, you know, well, that's not really what God meant. Reminds me a little bit of what Satan attempted to do from the very beginning of the book of Genesis. Yea, hath God really said that? Did he really mean that? And so Mark chapter 8 and verse 1 is where we're going to begin. But before we do that, I want to challenge you with this thought. We're going to have four different choices that you can make. That's basically the message. We're looking at four stories, four conversations that Jesus had. At the end of these conversations, I'm going to challenge you to make a choice. Because we have notes, it's easy to circle, take notes or circle one choice or the other. I would ask that you would wait to make the choice until the end of each challenge and then make that choice. This morning, four choices that every Christian needs to make to get out of the middle of the road or to get off the fence. Look with me at Mark 8, 1. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and here's what he said. I have compassion on the crowd. Because they've been with me now three days, and they have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, well, they'll faint on the way. And some of them have come from so far away. His disciples answered him and said, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Now, for a moment, I want you to think about that statement with me. Because the disciples a few chapters ago had witnessed Jesus feeding of the 5,000. So that's in the back of their minds when they make that statement. When they say that, they understand, they realize, well, they've already seen Jesus kind of do something like this. This this seems like maybe potentially a a, a repeat scenario here. So in verse 5, he asked them, how many loaves loaves do you have? And their answer was, seven. He's going to do it again. It's going to be awesome. We got seven, God. Seven. We got seven. Not enough to feed everybody, but we got seven. So he directs the crowd to sit down on the ground. Oh, he's going to do it again. He's sitting them down like he did last time. He took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them. Can you imagine the excitement that's building? Can you imagine how the disciples must have felt at this time, anticipation of what was going to happen? He gave them to his disciples to set before the people and they set them before the crowd. They had a few small fish. They blessed them. He said that these also should be set before them. And they ate. And they were all satisfied. And they actually took up the broken pieces that were left over seven baskets full. There were this time 4,000 people. (laughs) And he sent them away. Can you imagine? How phenomenal it would have been to do ministry with Jesus. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what it would have been like to go with him from city to city and town to town and shore to shore and see God do these magnificent works? Verse 10, immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmantua. Probably not pronouncing that correctly, forgive me, but I'm coming close, right? And the Pharisees came and began to argue with him. And here's what they said. They were seeking from him a sign from heaven. 
to test him. So let's begin with choice number one. Am I going to live by faith or by sight? Take with me a look at verse number eight again, the last verse in that text. Mark chapter 8, verse 11, rather. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven. The Pharisees were saying, we want to see a sign. In effect, with that statement, they were saying this. We haven't seen enough. We want to see more. Oh, we've seen the blind receive their sight. That was pretty cool. We've seen lepers who were lepers from their, for, for, for years and even from their birth. We, we've seen those lepers healed, but that's not enough. We've seen the lame that were laying on the side of the road get up and walk, but that's not enough. We've seen the blind get their sight back, but that's not enough. We've seen demons cast out, but that's not enough. Verse 11 says they were seeking after a sign from where? From heaven. This earthly stuff was just not enough. We want to see something come out of the heavens. This was a sign of their unbelief. Their question was rooted in unbelief. And in spite of all the things that they had seen with their eyes, they were not willing to believe that Christ was who he said he was, and they were trying to play games with Christ, and Christ was not willing to play their games. In Mark chapter 8, you see his answer in verse number 12. He sighs deeply in his spirit, and he says, Why does this generation seek a sign? He was troubled by their lack of faith. Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. In fact, the gospel of Matthew puts it like this, that a wicked generation seeks after a sign. Make a note of this. Faith is a choice. It's a choice. If you're here this morning and you are not trusting God, it's because of a choice that you have made. You've made that choice. It's an intentional choice. You may say, well, I just want to see more. I mean, just just show me a little bit more. If I could just see a little bit more. I'm asking God to show me this and show me this and show me this. I just want to see more. You, you, You don't need to see anymore. You've seen enough. If the breath of God in your lungs this morning, If a new day to wake up and just live, health, strength, blessings. If the goodness of God is not evident in your life, if it's not evident enough in your life that you can't turn to God and and say, Jesus, I trust you by faith, then it's because you choose not to believe. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4 says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and his forbearance and his patience, not knowing that God's goodness, God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance? The Pharisees were making a choice to live by sight, and the followers of Jesus must make a choice today to live by faith. Because we've seen enough to know. We've seen enough to know that we can trust God but the parts that we don't understand. So much we don't understand. But I've seen enough to know, even in 28 years of pastoring this church, that I can trust God with the parts that I don't see. And you know what? You come to this place at numerous times in your life as you grow as a Christian. Am I going to live by faith? Or am I going to live by sight? So that's the first question this morning. What are you living by right now? Oh, I just need to see a few more things. Nope. 
No middle ground. Get off the fence. Live by faith or live by sight. In just a minute, circle one. There's no middle ground. Because every step with God, every step with God is a step of faith. Every step. You see, so often we want to just think that, you know, well, I I put my faith in Christ at salvation. Isn't that enough? Isn't that it? I mean, you know, the rest of my life is just topsy-turvy, kind of rolling the dice, hoping it all works. But at least I know I'm going to heaven. (laughs) But that disagrees with Colossians chapter number 2. In verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Jesus Christ as Lord, so walk in him. Every day with Jesus can be sweeter than the day before. As we walk in Christ and trust him by faith. As pastor of this church for 28 years, how many lessons as a church have we learned by drawing down upon God's faithfulness to us in the past? It's unbelievable to think of all the things that God has done. I mean, even today as I face trusting God with certain things as pastor of Gospel Light, I just look back and see. I remember that that first building that God gave us on the corner of 3rd and South. I mean, I remember we didn't have any money. We we were just starting a church, sitting in a bank and trying to borrow $69,000 to buy a storefront building next to a property that the church had burnt down. And it was just this little old rat trap infested building. I mean, honestly, it was pretty bad. But it's all we could afford, you know, and we couldn't afford that. But, you know, just seeing God provide. Looking at that banker and him asking me, okay, do you have a job? I need to write down where you work for, for income. I said, well, I don't have a job. So where are you going to work? I said, well, I'm actually going to work at the church when we start it. We just need the building. He said, well, how much do you get paid? I said, well, nothing. He said, well, what are you going to get paid? I said, well, there's, 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 there's these things called offering plates. You pass them. And people actually put money in it. It's incredible. And then you count it at the end of the service. And then after you count it, you make the building payment, and then you, whatever's left you, you help pay the preacher. He said, that's your plan? I said, uh-huh. He said, that's stupid. Living by faith, not by sight. I said, it's going to work out. God's calling me. I'm trusting God for this. I won't go into the rest of the details. I'll just tell you this. Within four weeks, we were having our first service in that building, and he gave me the 69000 and we made every payment until we bought the second building, which don't ask me how we did that either, <laughs> that, where the Spanish church is meeting. And then I don't know how in the world we got that big parking lot across the street because we didn't get the bid. I was there. Tony Thomas was there. I was sitting next to Tony. I mean, the bid went over 200000 which is as much as we were given permission to spend. I actually... Violated that by going 10,000 over with Tony's permission because he was a deacon, amen? So as long as you got one guy telling you you can cheat, you can cheat. You know, no, I'm just kidding. We weren't cheating, but he was, he was saying, look, I'll, I'll help with this. You know, listen, we didn't get it. My wife and I that night walked away from the Clarion Hotel, which is now the Doubletree Hotel, and we were not the largest bidder. And I remember saying to my wife, almost quote unquote, I'm finished, I'm done. I'm not going to pastor any longer in that little spot in the middle of a dangerous neighborhood. God did not come through. He did not give us the property. This doesn't make any sense. And she looked at me and she said, oh, so all of a sudden, God can't do what he said he would do. And I looked at her and said, you shut up, woman. No, I didn't say that. I did not say that. I promise. Just trying to get you to laugh a little bit, a little humor in the sermon. Folks have said it's been a little too intense lately, so take a break. It's fixing to get real intense, so... I said, you know, you're right. So we walked 
to Waffle House. If you, I don't know how many of you know this, but that great establishment has two locations in town. <laughs> I've been to this one by my house about 732 times. That's why I have this beautiful figure. It's amazing. It's built with Waffle House grease. And, but we walked from the Clarion to that Waffle House, which is just a couple minutes away. And my wife and I that night had a dinner together at Waffle House. And she just encouraged me in the Lord. And he said, honey, don't you see God's goodness? I mean, come on, honey, we can't just give up. By the end of that night, because of what she said and because of that waffle, <laughs> covered in syrup. I said, you're right, honey, we're going to be fine. The next morning I wake up and I got a call from the, from the uh, financial officer of the Second Baptist Church who owned the property and said, listen, I know you weren't the biggest bigger, bidder, but we want you to have the property. I'm like, you do? Yeah, we, we just don't really want, the, and we reserve those rights, and when you signed it, you agreed that if we did not agree, and I, I didn't even know that. I said, really? I said, well, actually, sir, I said, we only were given permission to spend 200000 and we actually bid 210000 so I actually went 10000 over without really full permission. And, I mean, I had a deacon there, but, I mean, I, I'd really feel better if you could give it to for 200000 He said, sure. I said, oh, yeah, well, thank you. I just want you to know when you walk up to me and say, Preacher, how in the world is this all going to work? I don't know. The offerings are down. Is something going to happen? Are we going to have to close the door? I, th- just... Just please know why my blood pressure is not up today. I've just seen what God can do. And I just choose to live by faith and not by sight. I understand. I understand and need the rebuke right now that says, but there's a difference between faith and foolishness. Keep telling me that because I definitely err on the side of faith. Trust me, I need that every now and then. I need the balance and I agree with it and I understand it. But I tell you, sometimes I think we have used that as an excuse to just only live by sight. And I'm asking you today to join me in this effort of saying I'm going to make a choice to live by faith when I don't understand. When times are hard, we can trust Him. Those who walk by faith have confidence that God will bring us through. So it's time to make a choice. Circle one. Circle one. If you have the courage to do it, circle one. Make a choice right now in this service, right now. At this, I just need time. There's no middle ground with Jesus. Why do you need time? Well, I just don't know if I want to, you know, not trust him or trust him. You can't do that. You can't make up your mind. This is not, there's no time. Either you hate him or you love him. Either you're a follower or you're not. Make a choice. Number two, am I going to soften my heart or harden it? Mark chapter 8, verse 13. And he left them, and he got into the boat again, and he went to the other side. Now they have forgotten to bring bread. All right, here's my response to that. You ready? So what? (laughs) I want to tell you something. When you've seen God do what God can do with bread, and you think you forgot it, I think God can pretty much handle it. Amen. But they forgot it. In fact, it says specifically they only had one loaf, which is really difficult for me to understand because there were seven baskets full. I guess somebody just grabbed a loaf and said, hey, let's not forget a loaf. (laughs) 
He must have been feeling kind of dumb. So he cautioned them. And here's what Jesus said. It's a teaching lesson. Bread, leaven. Oh, this is a great opportunity, Jesus says, to teach them something. So he, he cautioned them and said, watch out. I'm sure when he said, watch out, they were like, whoa, what, what's going on here? We're talking about leaving some bread on the seashore. What are you talking? Watch out. Watch out. Beware of the leaven. Leaven is a picture of sin in Scripture. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump, a little sin can change the course of your life. A little sin. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Remember in Scripture, Herod, when Jesus stood before him, what did Herod want? He wanted to see a sign. Show me more. Show me a miracle. Do a miracle right now. If you are who you say you are, let me see something. The Pharisees were the same way. We want a sign, a sign from heaven. Do something. And they began discussing, the disciples did with one another, the fact that they had no bread. They didn't get to have a clue. Jesus is teaching them something so incredible, so life-changing. He was trying to make an important point, but the disciples were totally missing it. We forgot the bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive and understand? Is the problem, gentlemen, that your hearts are hardened? Jesus said, I'm not talking about bread. I'm talking about the sin of unbelief. And how could you possibly be concerned about bread after everything you've seen me do? Verse 18, having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? I sort of feel like the disciples, I know how I would feel right now. I, I, if I were them, I'd be feeling busted. You got me. I, I'm sorry. I, I've just been in la-la land. So he broke the five loaves. And the five, thou, uh, for the five, he said, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, and I don't think they said it with much enthusiasm. I think they probably said it like this. Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? You've seen so much. I've been so good to you guys. And I say to you today, Do you not understand? Is your heart hard? Or is your heart soft? That is the real question. And you know, the circumstances of life harden or soften every person to spiritual things. One or the other. The danger that I see as I pastor a church for 28 years is that the longer I pastor, the more I notice that what we go through in life is not really that much different. It's not really that much different. I'm not there yet, guys, on that note. Hang tight. The circumstances are different. The difficulty, the level of difficulty can be different. Hey, what about this one? The seasons of difficulty can be different. Sometimes you're going through something and I'm not going through it, but then all of a sudden I'm going through it, you're not going through it. Is everybody listening? 
Sometimes I know that something really heavy can drop into our lives and we're like, whoa, that's crazy. I've never experienced that before. I get all that. But still, I'm convinced the longer I pastor, really, as I look over the audience today and even see the people here, it's like we've all been through some really tough things. But here is the truth. And here's the note. As we go through the circumstances of life, there's either just one of two responses. Either my heart gets softer, more tender, and more responsive to the things of the Lord, or my heart gets harder and colder and drier and more difficult for God to work with. I've often heard it said that the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. Which are you? You're either better or bitter because of the circumstances of life. Circle one. Are you hard or you're soft? What choice are you going to make? You can make it right now. Make a choice. And I believe Jesus was burdened about this with his disciples, and that's why he said, don't you understand? Is it that your hearts are hardened? Haven't you seen enough? Choice number three. And this one I think is the most important maybe of the four as far as, I mean, we're going in chronological order through the chapter, but I really want you to listen to this one in the sense that I think it applies to everybody in the building, regardless of what your standing is with Christ, saved or lost, follower of Christ or not yet follower of Christ. Choice three, am I going to live for God's interest or my own interest? Mark chapter 8 begins in verse 27 as we read here, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? What are you hearing out there, guys? Just curious. Who do people say that I am? Why did Jesus ask that question? Because the primary focus of Jesus' ministry was to reveal who he was. I'm teaching a class this semester, champion on the life of Christ. I'm loving it. And honestly, the primary focus of that entire class is to reveal more and more to the hearts of those students who Jesus is. That's the key. And that's the same critical question on the table today. Who is Jesus Christ? In verse 28, they said, well, some say John the Baptist. By the way, this was, first of all, the safe way to ask the question. You ever, you ever asked a question but thought, well, I'm going to ask it like this first because it's not as pointed? So who does everybody else say that I am? Well, everybody's got an opinion. Well, some say like John the Baptist. And I can kind of see why they say that Jesus. And then some say Elijah, actually. Oh, this is, some say you're one of the prophets. It's crazy, all the stuff that's out there. The rumors are insane, Jesus. And then he asked them, so who do you say that I am? Wow. I mean, you're my followers. Who do you say that I am? Not your mom. Not, not, not what does your mom say. Not what does your dad say. Not what does your brother say. But who do you say that Jesus Christ is? And that is the question that you're going to want to be able to answer when you step out of this world. Who is Jesus Christ? And he's not just a good teacher. And he's not just this really good guy. 
He is God or he is a liar. There is no middle ground. Either he is everything or he is nothing. Notice the disciples' response in Mark 8, verse 29. Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Messiah. You're the anointed one. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, and I've circled this word must in this passage, there's no plan B. There's only one plan here. It's, it's, it's this. Gentlemen, I must suffer. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be rejected, rather, by the elders and the chief priests. And then I'm going to be killed. And, and then I'm going to rise three days later from the dead. There was no other plan. Christ came to suffer. Christ came to die. And Christ came to rise again. Question, have you made a a choice about that yet? Have you personally made a choice about that? That Jesus Christ came to die. He came to suffer, to die, and to rise again so that you could be saved. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 puts it like this. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Have you become the righteousness of God yet? Have you accepted the fact that your righteousness is not good enough? There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. I remember in my religion as a young man, I grew up in a religion that just said, you've got to be good enough. And so I would go to the confessional booth, you know, every week or every month, I'm sorry, once a month. And I would pray something like this to my priest. Forgive me, Father, I have sinned. My last confession was. And I would tell him my last confession a month ago. Then he would ask me, okay, what sins do you need to take care of? And as a young lad, I would say things like, well, I stole some change off my mom's dresser. I didn't treat my brother nicely. I talked back to my mom. I cheated on a test. And the priest would say to me, okay, son. It's going to be four candles. Please follow the instructions as to what you need to give as you light those candles, and there's a box to put the money in. And then make sure to get your rosary and go through that at least 15 times for these sins. That's about 15 times. And remember, keep track of your sins this month for next month. And that's how I lived my life. And I was religious about it. I mean, I never missed a month. I never missed a confession. But then I found out it's not by works of righteousness which I have done. It's according to his mercy that he saves me. And I can't work my way. I can't do enough good. That he paid it all. And I love what 1 John 4.10 says. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And God sent his son, Jesus, to become the payment for our sin. That's what that word propitiation means. Payment for our sin. Make that personal right now. Have you come to the place where you have accepted what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross? Or is that just information to you? Well, that's nice. I'll keep that in mind. I'll keep that in mind. That's another thought of many thoughts about how you get to heaven. But I appreciate it. I really do. That's another, 
I mean, I'll reflect on that a while. No middle ground. No middle ground. If you haven't come to the place where you've turned from your sin and embraced Jesus Christ by faith as the only basis for your forgiveness, you are not going to heaven. You're going to hell. You say, Pastor, I, I, I don't hear that much anymore. I understand that. But I've just determined here as a pastor, I, I'm not going to water down the gospel of Jesus Christ, to tiptoe around the tulips. We're going we're gonna to preach the truth here because there's no middle ground. Have you made that choice? You've got to get off the fence. Check this out. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Check it out. It's crazy. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. No way! No way! Yeah, way. This happened. I'm not sure what Peter was rebuking him about, But Peter was not happy about what Jesus just said. And Jesus fired back and said in verse 33, he rebuked Peter and said, get thee behind me or get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. We're drawing a line right now, Peter. We're drawing a line. Is it God's interest or your own? Which one is it, Pete? Make the choice. It's one way or the other. It's, plan, it's, it's A or it's B. It's one or the other. Make a choice, period. He goes on in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36 and 37. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange or return for his soul? You might say in our, our, today you might put it like this. Even if you're Bill Gates times 10, don't try to write a check on judgment day. There's not something, this is not something you can buy. You must receive it by faith. You may be 18 inches from heaven, which is the distance from your head to your heart, but that's still too far. So whether your need this morning is to come to Christ for salvation or your need is to return to Christ and begin to live for him with your whole heart, I'm going to lay this question in front of you one more time, and it's time to make a choice right now. Are you going to live for God's interest or your own? Which one are you living for? This is serious. I think it's really serious. And if you were to say to me right now, well, I'm just not sure. I still think I'm kind of both. Can I tell you why I believe that people oftentimes try to stay neutral? And sometimes they stay neutral Jeremy, for their entire lives. And here I think is the top three reasons. This is just from my perspective as a pastor in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Reason number one, they avoid contact with committed believers. I'm just not going to get in a small group. I'm not going to be accountable. I'm just not. I don't want anybody making me uncomfortable. We just, in a minute, you're going to hear from our new small group's pastor, Craig Connor. I'm looking forward to that announcement, Craig. You'll hear Craig say some pretty strong things about we want to get you connected. We want you to be a part. But normally people don't want to get connected if they want to stay neutral. We don't want accountability. We don't want to hear from other committed believers. Number two, we avoid ministry involvement. 
I mean, we just don't work for the kingdom. We, we find a way to not serve. We hear about the opportunities. We know probably, you know, 90% of the, I mean, 10% of the people do 90% of the work. That's just kind of how it is. And the rest of us just come and sit, soak, and sour, enjoy the service, get entertained a little bit, laugh a few times, walk out during the closing prayer maybe. And I'm not talking about you. I'm just speaking about ways that we just avoid serving. You know, we're approached with it. We hear about the needs. You know, yesterday we had a big day where we just mowed lawns and weed-eated. And I was out here with the guys yesterday. I saw John Schroeder and Braxton. Man, right there. That was great, man. I loved it. John's going to be the new deacon over the landscaping. So he and Braxton were out there kind of getting practicing for the fall when they start. I was loving it. I was thinking, you know, maybe one of the reasons why we're not involved in ministry is because we just want to stay neutral. Because if I'm not involved, then I, I just, I don't, I don't have to make a commitment. Or number three, we avoid church commitment. We attend, but we never join. We don't give. We get our giving statement at the end of the year, which everyone gets members and non-members, and it just says zero. We just don't invest. And so I ask you the question again. Am I going to live for God's interest or am I going to live for my own? There's no middle ground. There just isn't. Make a choice. Last thing. Number four. Am I going to stand up for Christ or am I going to be silent? There's a single verse here. It's the last verse in Mark 8. It says in verse 38, one single verse says so much. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Who's preaching like that today? Wow. Jesus was just the greatest preacher to ever live. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And let me stop and say, when it says in the glory of the Father with his holy angels, let's be reminded that there is an appointment that we're all headed to with God that we will not be able to avoid. If you're lost, it's called the great white throne judgment. If you're saved, it's called the judgment seat of Christ. But judgment is coming for everybody in the building. All of us are going to stand before God and give an account. We're all headed to that appointment. There's, there's no way to get around it. Nobody's going to go in your place. And so if the sum total of your life has been about being ashamed of Jesus Christ, not standing for him, not speaking up for him, not living for him, then according to this passage, it says he'll be ashamed of you at his coming. It reminds me of that passage where someone is trying to justify their reason to that Jesus should let them to heaven and he makes that very intense statement, I never knew you, depart from me. You know, maybe there's a couple of scenarios we need to consider here. I think one scenario could be that believers today in church have just wavered over time. 
maybe just over time, we've just sort of, you know, I mean, I used to go to church all the time, and I used to be involved, and I used to do the giving thing, and I actually used to serve, and I used to do this and that, but, you know, it's, I don't know, pastor, just over time, I, I just, I'm really not involved. It's been years since I've been plugged in. I mean, I, I, I come. I usually come, and, you know, I mean, I, I like the messages, and, yeah, the band's really cool, but I just, I don't know. I, I've just, over time, I've just got disconnected. Maybe another scenario would be believers in this room that would say, well, I, I actually, I've stayed connected. And, 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 and preacher, I, I want to take that next step of faith. I just need to keep going. If that's you, then keep going. I mean, all of us here today may have one of those two scenarios. We're believers, we're followers, but we've wavered or we just need to keep going. But whatever that situation is, please be reminded that we must stay focused because God has called us to 100% total commitment. That's what God's called us to. This is not a 50-50 thing, 50 our way, 50 God's way. In fact, I love what Winston Churchill said. I wish I would have put it in your notes, but I kind of connected with the quote after I wrote the notes and did the sermon. It's a cool statement. Winston Churchill said, a fanatic is a person who can't change their mind and won't change the subject. I love that. Because a follower of Jesus Christ, he just can't change his mind and he won't change the subject. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's radically committed to following his Savior. Radically committed. And I believe we've never lived in a day that is calling followers of Christ in a way that is to take a stand for him, to live for him, to not get distracted by so many things going around us, but to spend our... Look, think about those incredible baptisms last week. From the community center. I mean, how many of you like to see that more often? I would love to see that. So I know that as I become more committed to Christ, as I give to the church, as I get connected to the church, that is only going to increase as we stay focused on the mission that God's given us to be disciples of Jesus Christ. So many challenges are coming in the next few months. I'm not even talking about time-consuming challenges. I'm just talking about an hour here, 45 minutes there, discipleship here, a little prayer there, little opportunity to give a couple bucks here, little opportunity to give a couple bucks there. I'm not even talking about stuff that's crazy. It's just little things. But if all of us got connected, oh my goodness, if we all found a way to take that next little step of faith, just, just a little step of faith, I really believe over time we would look back. You know, we got a missions conference coming up. And I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I gave my missions this morning. I know. I, I should get the online thing down. I still write checks. I know. It's bad. But as I wrote my missions giving, honestly, I thought about the message and I thought, how did it get to that figure? The only thing I could think of because is, is that I gave a couple bucks more every year. But, you know, after 28 years, it gets crazy on you. You don't really increase a whole lot ever. You just increase a little all the time. And then you look back on your life and you're like, wow, we're not meeting in that storefront building with roaches and rats anymore. We're meeting in this. How did this happen? I have no clue. I don't know how we're here. I just know. 
it must be faith. Because I never saw this. I never saw it. I don't think it's that God is ever asking us necessarily to take this one giant step into... He could be. But I think sometimes it's just really more a step of faith every day. Just every day. Walking with God. Living by faith. There's no telling where some of you could be five, ten years from now. Especially you young people. Wow. I'm 55 now. Wow. I can't, I cannot. I mean, my wife and I have been married 32 years. We have some strange talks now, like, you know, where are we going to live when it's just the two of us? I mean, probably Gloria and two, but, well, for sure. And we, t- we have these talks, and it's like, we're, why are we having these conversations, you know? But it's, it's just what happens as you get older. You talk about different things. Young people, do you realize that somebody's going to have to step in? And take the mantle and run with this thing called faith. Champion Christian college students. I see some of the students in the balcony. I'm so proud of you for being here. Praise God. I believe in you guys. I believe in you young ladies all over the building. I'm still convinced that Champion Christian College can be a beacon of light to the world. Some will come here. And God will change their minds about their future and they'll get called to preach and go start a church somewhere. Amen? Wouldn't it be something? Well, I'm done. But I think there's two responses. The first response would be someone who would say, you know, I've never truly followed Jesus Christ. I've never really accepted his gift of salvation and I'm here this morning, and I, I just need to accept that gift. I, I, I feel like this is a choice I need to make. I've avoided this decision, and I'm here this morning. I've never accepted Christ. I know that I'm not going to heaven without that decision. I've got to choose Jesus and his payment for my sins in this morning. I want to do that. Maybe someone else would say, Pastor, I've accepted Christ, but man, I don't know that I've made the right choices here as of later in the last few years. And I just, I've, I've circled the right boxes. I really, I really want to change some courses in my life. I want to move in a different direction. I want to move closer to the will of God. I want to be committed to Christ with my whole life, with what's left of it. It's just one or the other. Make a choice. Let's bow our heads, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed. Before I pray and we stand, I wonder if there might be somebody here today that would say, Pastor, what would be that next step to trust Christ? Well, in your own heart right now where you're sitting, you can make that choice in the balcony or on the main floor, wherever you are. I mean, sometimes we talk about a sinner's prayer and a prayer that oftentimes just sort of indicates and it, it, what it does is it shares with God what's going on and how we feel and what we accept. It could be something like, Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And Jesus, I know that you are not. You lived a perfect life. You died on the cross for my sins and I accept 
your payment, your, your death, your burial, your resurrection is payment for my sin. And today, Jesus, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If right here in this building this morning, you would say today for the very first time, I made that choice. You're in the balcony, maybe you're on this main floor, and you would say today, I feel like I don't always do this, but I've, I really feel compelled because we talked about not being ashamed of Christ. To just say, if you've accepted Christ for the very first time this morning, and you're not ashamed of that, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but would you, would you slip your hand up that you would say, I, I'm accepting Christ today. I'm making that choice for the very first time today to say yes to Jesus. Anybody like that in the building, would you slip your hand up just where I can at least see it across the building? God bless you. Amen. Who else? Is there another? I can only see a hand. I can't even see a face, really. But that's all I need. I just, I'm just asking you not to be ashamed. Today, for the first time, I'm willing to not be ashamed and say, I became a follower of Jesus today. Anybody else would raise their hands in the building? If you're not raising your hand, then I'm going to go ahead and just assume that you are a follower of Christ. And if you are, then I want you to pray about these choices. As we worship in song, I think the song we're about to worship together with says it all. So much that we don't know. Let's just live by faith. Let's just live by faith. God, I don't need to see anything. I've seen enough. I trust you. Father, bless this. Bless this response time. Speak to our hearts. God, we give you total control of this moment. And we ask God that you would do something in the next few moments that's so significant it would change our lives, our focus, get it back on you. Oh God, would you do that? Would you answer this plea, this cry? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand together?